Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Eric Clark from Dynamic Brands. Uh, It is January 10th, Tuesday, about noon, and I wanted to record this audio version of our Q4 2022 letter. Some people like to read things. Some people like to listen to things in the car or on the uh, treadmill or in the office. So I wanted to offer both. And uh, if you if you need any information or the written version, it will be up on the Global Brands Matter website under Dynamic Brands tab, as well as the AccuVest website as well. So, you know, 2022 was a pretty difficult year for investors overall. Uh, The year was filled with fear, uncertainty, and doubt around geopolitics, Fed policy, rising rates, high inflation across wages, rents, and energy, agriculture, food, and services. And you can thank your politicians and your Federal Reserve for overreacting to COVID and then all of the uh, supply chain issues that were created because of that and then all of the the, uh, order misallocations because of an unavailable supply chain, et cetera. There was a lot of ripple effects for the things that we did, the the closings, uh, et cetera. So we are still, you know, dealing with a lot of those lingering effects. And one of those is the Fed kind of is using this opportunity to raise interest rates to combat inflation. And, and the inflation that we have now is really air cover for them to de-anchor from this zero interest rate policy that we adopted basically after 08, 09. Um, when Bernanke came into office in April of 06, um, Fed funds was much higher. And then through the financial crisis, he lowered the rates basically to zero. And then we kind of kept them there for most of the time up until March of 2022, when we started to raise interest rates. So that was the biggest problem, free money. Um, The cost of capital was zero, which creates lots of misallocations of capital. So this has been a 13 plus year 
problem in the making. And we're now just normalizing back to, 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 to longer term trends. And, you know, just for some history, if you go back to July of 1955, up until uh, the end of this year in 2022, th there was about 100, uh, 822 months of data. Average Fed funds rate was 4.6 and average CPI was 3.6. So about 42% of the time since July of 1955, Fed funds were 5% or greater. So the abnormal period is really from about 09 up until uh, early 2022. Most of the time, Fed funds is, you know, four or 5% and inflation's closer to four rather than two. So we're just getting back to normal. And obviously the road to normal from zero is the, the, the most difficult process that we saw in 2022 because it's the trajectory of rates and things that matter more than the, the, than the actual uh, direction. You know, interest rates could gradually creep up over five years, and that probably wouldn't be very destructive to stocks or the economy. But when you go from zero and you go straight up and move interest rates plus quantitative tightening at the fastest pace in history, you're going to get a lot of distress, or, or you know, here and around the world because there's a lot of you know, chain reactions that happen with currencies and cross asset volatility, et cetera. So, you know, the, the road to normal is well on its way. The Fed says that they're going to, you know, kind of anchor to, let's call it five, five and a quarter on Fed funds. So there's still a little bit further to go. But unless the Fed really wants to break something in a, in a meaningful way in the economy or the credit markets, they're going to slow the trajectory. And I think that's a uh, one, what the the market might be sniffing out, you know, in the first 10 days of January. Um, and I think what, what the market will pick up on for 2023, there's certainly lots of volatility that could be created on, you know, kind of an earnings pullback because of all the things that the Fed has done last year. But for the most part, I think we think the the bigger damage has already been done and, and will set off, you know, a much bigger recovery as, uh, as people get right size to equities, you know, in most cases, they're pretty underweight equities. They're holding more cash than normal. And so at some point when they feel like the worst is behind us, there's just going to be a lot of money uh, kind of right sizing their allocations to equities. So I would not expect, uh, you know, parabolic moves, you know, on the upside at some point from some level as people, you know, Kind of check their their bearish sentiment. So, for investors of high quality, profitable growth companies, uh, which is where we tend to play most of the time, it was an even more difficult uh, year of 2022 as multiples re-rated across the board. And, and in, you know, in December of 2021, I wrote a post that talked about the 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 most expensive profitless stocks. Let's call them the Arc Innovation ETF stocks. Those were going to struggle a lot because interest rates were were going to go up and their multiples were going to get severely, you know, kind of hit. And that's exactly what happened. I, I, I don't know the off the top of my head, but I think the ARC names were down on average 70 plus percent and they're having a little nice renaissance here in the first uh, 10 days. But I'm not sure that's going to continue uh, for the year. So, you know. We think 2023 is going to be a much better uh, environment for the quality growth companies, 
where we t- where we play that generate lots of strong free cash flows today, not tomorrow, not five years from now, but they have a lot of great cash flow. They have a lot of great cash flow growth, et cetera. So that that's the area where we traffic. That's the style box, if you will, of where we play. And we think uh, there's some just terrific, terrific opportunities in that category after a big re-rating. So ironically, if you look at the actual businesses of the companies we own, they turned in for the most part, pretty solid years with uh, just a few exceptions, if one looked at the business success of the companies we own in the in the brand strategy, you you would have expected stocks that would have been had a much stronger year of performance in 2022. But the market's clearly looking forward to a slower economic environment and adjusting multiples for the the actions of the Federal Reserve and and the higher inflation than we're used to. But, you know, again, historically speaking, rising rates are generally not a problem for stocks. It's just when the trajectory is so steep, like in 2022, that's when things get a little bit more rocky and volatile. And frankly, that's what the Fed wanted, right? The Fed wanted everyone to be back on their heels, not risk taking, not speculating, no crypto, no flipping AMC and other meme stocks. That's exactly what the Fed wanted, and it certainly was successful in that endeavor. So, you know, getting back to normal should be a very welcome development for risk assets broadly going forward, even if we have a little bit more rocky as we get back to the normal when the Fed should probably sit tight for for longer, which, again, is a good thing. That means bad businesses don't get funded. Um, money isn't free. The cost of capital has to be, you know, part of the process of deciding which investments are are offering a decent uh, return, et cetera. So, but today, a lot of the best businesses ever created are on pretty good sale, even after a, a nice little rally since the end of December. Excuse me. So, over the long term, this is just a reminder, equity markets are roughly positive about 80% of the time. So if there was a game in Vegas that offered you 80% winning odds, how often would you visit Vegas and play that game? I'm I'm guessing the answer would be pretty frequently. Um, yet in the investment business, investors retrench when the odds favor, you know, good, good outcomes, which they do after a big, difficult 2022. So, you know, if you look at back at this Vegas analogy, it, you know, what if you went on a losing streak in that game that tends to give you great winning odds? Would you, would the knowledge of those positive odds keep you at the table and maybe even warrant you taking bigger and bolder bets? Or would you walk away uh, from the table kind of frustrated and beaten, even though the odds favored you having a, you know, a better time going forward? And that's the scenario we see in 2023. History shows that, you know, if you're willing to look through short-term noise and take advantage of large sales and great businesses, you're going to get rewarded. Consumer sentiment has been pretty poor the entire year. Uh, when the price of everything we want and need is much higher than normal, that tends to happen. By all accounts, 2022 will probably go down as one of the worst years for the 60-40 portfolio, you know, the 60% equities, 40%, you know, bonds, kind of the traditional balanced portfolio that most uh, investors, particularly those that, that work with advisors, have. You know, bonds and stocks were pretty dreadful across the board. And, you know, in the deck here, I have a chart from KKR that looks at the 60-40 portfolio annual returns all the way back to the early 1920s. And, the 
you know, the 2022 experience was kind of on par for 2008, was worse than, than the 73-74 bear market, which is saying something. Um, and the last, the only time we had two back-to-back -back negative years for the 60-40 portfolio, meaning bonds and stocks just really stunk, was 1930 and 31. So I, I feel pretty good about saying the 60-40 portfolio in 2023 will turn in a positive return. Who knows where that return will come from? That's above my pay grade, but I think better times are ahead. And, and ironically, it's at a time when most people are still retrenching and pretty bearish, um, which is a bit of a contrarian signal in my mind. So, you know, though 2023 may continue to be volatile, Fed normalization continues and, and is well through the, you know, at least 75% of that process. So we, we expect, we expect, you know, traditional fixed income, which offers some attractive yields finally after a long, long time of not having good yields to turn in some decent appreciation. You know, maybe you get a couple percent of, of total return along with your, your income that, that will certainly be welcome, particularly from year over year, 2022. And then high quality companies, superior balance sheets, high operating margins, um, they've they've been they're now cheaper than they've been in a very long time so i think a lot of money will rotate there as well we're starting to see that uh, thus far in january 2023 as well so obviously in 22 macro mattered more than micro meaning the macro the global macro environment that's what everybody focused on it company fundamentals really didn't matter like i said earlier most of the businesses that we own did pretty well, and yet their stock sucked. So, you know, obviously that's a pull forward for what we might see on an earnings, you know, front in 2023. But I think uh, for, for the most part, companies have lowered guidance, have been cautious about forward-looking guidance. And so I think that's a much better setup going into, you know, earnings that start, you know, in less than a week or so with the banks. So, you know, as an opportunist, and I and I think we would we would call ourselves opportunists. We are very excited to build bigger positions in our favorite brands if they go on sale. You know, further, and that's you know, buy low, sell high tends to be a pretty timeless approach. And volatility has always been the friend of the long term investor, and it's the foe of the short term investor, uh, particularly if you're just a long only investor. But um, you know, that's a pretty timeless adage, I think, um, certainly for my 30-year career investing. So if you want to get an indication of, of sentiment for investors, I'll throw out a couple of statistics. Investors pulled a net about $85 billion out of equities over the last seven weeks of 2022. And investors pulled more than $27 billion from equity funds and ETFs in just the last week of 2022. That's the the 10th largest one week outflow in 21 years. And it's the largest December outflow ever since uh, Lipper has been uh, uh, collecting that data. And that exceeds the Christmas week of 2018 when the market was just plunging um, into Christmas Eve that year. And the, the question naturally should be, well, how did stocks perform in 2019 after the stocks plunging in the fourth quarter of 2018. Well, the first quarter of 2019, the S&P was up 13.5%. The NASDAQ was up 
2.8%. And the full year of 2019 was the S&P up 31. The NASDAQ was up 36. So I, I, there are certain things that are different today um, than they were in 2019. The Fed kind of pivoted, if you will, and, and we're, we're not expecting a pivot. I wish people would stop talking about the Fed pivot. The Fed is going to a level and they want to sit there. And that level is basically where we usually sit if you look back 50 plus years of data. So nobody sh should be surprised that the Fed has finally got some sanity and going back to quote unquote normal. Will they break some things along the way? I, that's anybody's guess. Our job is to just react to some of that stuff and buy great companies that go on sale from short-term dislocations. So another way to highlight how bearish sentiment is currently, you know, there's a data point from sentiment trader that came out mid-December of 2022. Traders have never spent so much so much money on expectations for a crash. Last week, all traders across all US exchanges bought $4.20 in put options, which is bearish, for every $1 in call options, which is bullish. So the skew was heavily in favor of people getting protection to the downside. That's not working out thus far in January. You know, that's double what they spent during all the other panics over the over the last 22 years. So to say that sentiment is heavily skewed to the negative side, uh, I would say is a pretty big understatement. So let's... You know, let, let's understand our crystal ball is is no better than anybody else's. And, and you know, there are some differences, but, you know, when when you have such bearishness and such negativity and such bad returns for one year, uh, historically, you have a much better time of it the following year. And and so, you know, listen, I, I can assure you if things do break sometime in 2023, the, our exposure to the private equity brands, Blackstone, KKR, and a smaller position in, in Brookfield Asset Management, another global asset manager for renewables and infrastructure, real estate, et cetera, uh, those guys will put a massive amount of money in dry powder to work at really attractive prices. That's why they're there. They had difficult 2022s. They are cheap from a stock perspective, and they have a lot. I mean, we're, you're talking almost 300 billion of dry powder to put to work if we do get any kind of dislocations and, and they are some of the smartest investors in the world. So my money is banking on their ability to place their, their, their large amounts of money in great investments, particularly if we do see some distress in the first, you know, in some part of, of 2023. So uh, again, that, you know, 2023 is sure to be interesting and if we do have a shallow recession, I think it will probably be the most telegraph recession in history. So, um, so, so let's move forward to, you know, th this current bearish bias. And, and it, frankly, it's understandable, right? I mean, as consumers, inflation is pretty high still. The, the supermarket is still expensive. Going out to eat is expensive. Going to a hotel is expensive. So, you know, historically, the Federal Reserve tends to overreact. And, you know, we are still going to see some remnants of a free money, zero interest rate, you know, uh, policy bonanza floating to the surface. I suspect we're going to see some bankruptcies, some restructurings, 
you know, Carvana, the car, the auto brand has been, you know, is probably going to have to have some restructuring bed, bath and beyond is looks on the verge of having to declare bankruptcy. So there's, there's a lot of companies up there that will be floating to the top that are going to need some restructurings or going into bankruptcy. But, you know, I love this quote from Stan Druckenmiller, one of the best investors of all time. You know, it doesn't matter what a company is earning today or what they have earned in the past. You have to visualize the situation 18 months from now, and that's where prices will be. And so we, you can't focus on what's happening today and and match that up with stock prices because stock prices look far into the into the future well in advance. So, you know, our focus obviously is big free cash flow generators today. And I think those are going to be much more important for 2023. I, I am personally tired of talking about Fed policy and zero interest rates. So we we've we've spent less time on the macro environment and more on company fundamentals, because over the long term, that's really what drives returns. And so, you know, like I said, the from 1955 until Ben Bernanke arrived in 06 at the, at the Fed, the average Fed funds rate is 5.6, inflation's at four. And the S&P has had an, had an annualized return of 10.85%, or a cumulative return over that period from 55 to 2006 of 19,244%. So there is, you know, anybody that says the economy and markets can't generate attractive returns with higher rates and inflation, they simply just haven't done the research uh, that, that we have. And, and again, it's the trajectory. So I'm not worried about when we get there. It was just, you know, we certainly underestimated the Fed and how far they were willing to go and how quickly they were willing to go but as we look now, a lot of the defensives that people have been hiding in for 2022 look incredibly expensive and over their skis. And, you know, thus far, uh, energy has been a laggard in, in January. Healthcare has been a laggard. Staples have been a laggard. A lot of those names are expensive, not on the energy side, but on the on the healthcare and staple side, much more expensive relative to the growth of some of the more cyclical areas of technology and consumer discretionary. So, you know, for perspective, from 06 to the end of 2022, Fed funds averaged 1.18 with Bernanke, Yellen, and Powell, and inflation averaged 2.4. So this is clearly the abnormal period that we're going back to normal. I just want to keep reiterating that because we all have to change our muscle memory. The, the annualized returns from, from 2006 to the end of 2022 were about 12.4. So a little bit higher than the 50-year the numbers that I just cited, but geez, they're, they're pretty close. And I'll take a much more normal uh, environment with, you know, versus negative interest rates all over the world and a zero cost of capital. Cause that really does, uh, that's really disruptive over time. So from a dynamic brands perspective, you know, I just want to remind people, even the best companies can have negative years. That doesn't mean things have changed. They certainly can. You have to do the, the fundamental research on each company, but you know it's to be expected. The reminder, the average drawdown in every calendar year for equities is about 14%. So you know, plenty of times great businesses have negative years. The good news about that is, and I'll get into that um, down a little bit further, great businesses tend to that that have negative years, tend to have pretty good forward returns after a negative year. So, you know, 
maybe maybe we have two negative years for for great businesses that's certainly possible there's there's historical you know precedent for that but i can tell you there's a lot of demand for great businesses when they go on sale and so i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't write off some of the best businesses in the world and we are absolutely thrilled with our portfolio and we sleep really well at night so <clears throat> excuse me i i think you know, just to get into some of those examples, we chose 20 very popular leading brands, not just from the consumer discretionary and tech area, but also with some of the mega themes that we track like life sciences and uh, et cetera. And we just looked back over time at these companies from their inception of being a public company. And we compared those to the S&P return and, you know, I'm talking about Amazon, Apple, Google, Estee Lauder, Intuit, Nike, LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, uh, Lululemon, Microsoft, Domino's Pizza, Costco, Target, Williams-Sonoma, Tencent, which is a Chinese company, Mercado Libre, which is a Latin American fintech, uh, Thermo Fisher, which is a life sciences innovator brand, Lowe's, Accenture, uh, NVIDIA and Netflix. So I tried to get a snapshot of a bunch of different industries, showed their returns all time versus the S&P. And the moral of the story is they crushed the S&P over long periods of time. And then I showed what the, 2020, uh, the 2022 were, returns were for those great businesses. And there was some pretty, there was some pretty big damage. I mean, Amazon was down almost 50%. Apple was down 26. Google was down 39 I mean, you know, NVIDIA was down 50, Netflix down 51. Then I showed what the average return of those companies was every negative year that they turned out since inception of being public companies. And I said, you know, well, how many negative years have they had? I mean, Target's had 15 negative years since it's a public company. And yet the returns are, you know, 5,200% versus 2,100% for the S&P. So with 15 negative years, it still managed to give a 2X return over the long term versus the S&P. And then you have names like, you know, Apple was down 15 times was negative. The worst return was 71%. And somehow they still managed to go up 40,840% versus 2,100% for the S&P. So massive, massive outperformance, including 15 negative calendar years. So the point of this is great businesses can have bad years. They can even have two bad years, but as long as they maintain a great business and leadership in their category with visionary products and management, they're probably going to be great buying opportunities. So don't run away. You should be buying more and getting more excited, even if you know short term you had to endure some pain. And the most the best part of this of this exercise is that I showed the average calendar return over the one year, then the two year, and then the third calendar year, just to show people great companies turning in negative years tend to be followed by pretty good positive years for the next three. So again, don't run from great businesses being negative. You should be greedy and be more opportunistic, even though you don't know if we have actually hit the bottom, just tranche in like we do. Buy a little, buy a little there, 
wait for him to come back a little further, buy a little more. That way you kind of have a nice cost average um, system over time. Looking at the brand's portfolio, um, I, I would describe it as a high conviction basket of iconic brands. Uh, certainly in times of uncertainty, less companies will thrive, less companies have sustainable pricing power, and less companies have strong end demand. So being more concentrated um, and, and kind of using a scalpel versus a shovel is, is what we would like to do in more difficult times. And, you know, if the market gets meaningfully weaker sometime in 2023, certainly a possibility, then I expect that we'll get less concentrated because more stocks will be on sale. And then we'll get a chance to get even more broad diversification across more sectors in B2B and B2C consumer uh, type of companies and, and we'll have more holdings than the 25 that we currently have. So, you know, we, we are a very thematic investor across the consumption theme. And, you know, if you look at the things that we're playing, you know, we have access to everyday staples through Estee Lauder. We have real assets and private equity through KKR and Blackstone and now Brookfield Asset Management. We have, you know, some consumer tech and music and social commerce through Spotify and Amazon and, and uh uh, and Meta, which is the old Facebook, we have some cloud migration theme with uh, Google and Microsoft, as well as uh, as Amazon uh, AWS. We have some fintech payments exposure with Visa, Mastercard, PayPal, uh, which is a fairly new one, new ad in the in the end of 2022 after getting pummeled for for the year, as well as a Latin American fintech in Mercado Libre. We, we do have some shelter and home improvements exposure through Home Depot and RH, which is a luxury home furnishings brand. Obviously, the digital advertising through Meta and Google, um, as well as YouTube through the Google franchise. In Athleisure, we have Nike and Lululemon, as well as Deckers. You may not know the name Deckers, but they own UGG brand, as well as the Hoka brand of sneakers. And we think the Hoka brand has $10 billion of revenue potential, and it's only doing, gosh, $2 billion or so now. So there's significant upside just with Hoka, plus the other uh, brands of Teva and Sanook, and if they do any other uh, acquisitions. Within, within kind of the food and warehouse shopping, we have Costco, a huge long-term winner and a long-term hold for us, as well as differentiated luxury spending with higher income and, and wealthy clients paying for luxury products, LVMH. Hermes um, and Ferrari, as well as a very small position in Tesla after it's uh, had a massive down year in, in 2022. Uh, and then we have a little bit of energy and independence through Exxon that I think will probably be more on its way out sometime in early 2023. They had great years last year. And I think I'm using that as a source of funds for some other names that come down Although we may hold a core position, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see how that one responds. But I think a lot of the great gains in the energy patch uh, were in 2022, and they'll provide much more stable, predictable returns um, in 2023, with, still with a nice dividend. And then lastly, on the life sciences innovation, we have Thermo Fisher, which is an instrument company. You know, we have a lot more life sciences and innovation genomics exposure through Blackstone and KKR in our real assets portfolio. So that's a major theme that we're playing through, you know, the instrument companies uh, as well as the private equity so we can get access to the private companies in that category. So in aggregate, this 
continues to be a very high quality portfolio with attractive sales and earnings growth projections, and one that's filled with free cash flow generators that have strong histories of compounding those investments at really attractive rates. Even if the uh, the rate of of uh, the discount rate goes up, you know a lot of these businesses have lots of track records in much higher interest rates for generating strong uh, returns on investment. So, you know, ge generally these brands have strong pricing power, high brand love, and generate strong free cash flow. Uh, many of which have strong buybacks in place that that are paying dividends or are growing their dividends. And so it's it's a portfolio that we really really love, even if it struggled in 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 2022. Those things happen sometimes, but now the reset has happened and and they're performing very well year to date so far. Early in in January, so you know we love these mega trends and these mega themes within consumption. And all we can say is that that we urge you to not let the market panic you out at the wrong time be, you know, widen your lens a little bit, focus on the company fundamentals, focus on big major secular themes with long-term, you know, long tails and great businesses that generate cash today. The, I, I would say that if I had to guess the, the, the style factor that works great in 2023 above all is just big, strong, free cash flow generators. And that's certainly a big part of what we're doing here. So, you know, I want to thank you for your loyalty to the, to the brand strategy and appreciate the, for appreciating the value of investing in this 44 trillion global consumption theme. And I think we'll have a much better year, 2023. I'm always here to, to chat. Uh, my email is eric, E-R-I-C dot Clark, C-L-A-R-K at AccuVest, A-C-C-U-V as in Victor, E-S-T dot com. And you can go on our website, globalbrandsmatter.com, as well as the AccuVest website, accuvest.com. So thanks a lot in advance for listening, everybody, and have a great 2023. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the Dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the Dynamic Brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.